I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your filtry air filters today at filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Now, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Podcast, episode one of our new show that takes a look at the intelligent world of stats and XG and mixes it with the not-so-intelligent world in which my brain works off. I'm joined on the line by Juco James from Celtic Underground, amongst others, and by Alan Morrison, a.k.a. Celtic by Numbers. I'm Enda Call, the dummy of the group, who's not particularly good at maths and doesn't really understand numbers all that well, but that is what the lads are here for. The numbers are what the lads do. So before we get started in the topics of the day, lads, thanks for joining me, first of all, and let's get an introduction to the crew of the Huddle Podcast. So we'll start with you, Alan. Let's uh, find out who you are, what do you do, where do your numbers come from? Yeah, hi. Um, actually, and I can completely relate to everything you just said. I'm, I was—I I literally got a grade C at GCSE maths, and uh, I'm pretty poor at it, to be honest. But uh, that's a true story. But so, yeah, I run the Celtic by Numbers site, uh, which is a, a website and also a Twitter account, and post post numbers and other inanities on various blogs. So, yeah, really here to kind of talk about Celtic and performance. Uh, really, that's what I, what I care passionately about is is really what what the numbers tell us about the underlying performance of the team, the manager, etc. James, I suppose most people would know you from your good, the bad, the ugly on the Celtic underground, but you take a pretty broad look at Celtic and the performances using statistics. Yeah, correct. So my background's in um, finance and markets and economics. Uh, so as I joke, I have about 50,000 hours of uh, pattern recognition in my brain uh, over the last 20 plus years. Uh, not necessarily with football data, but uh, all kinds of uh, macro data in uh, in markets. So over the last about 15 months, I started uh, diving into football data. And um, my primary source is Scout, um, but I try to pull it in from where, anywhere I can get it where it's reasonably affordable. Uh, so I pull some from modern football. Uh, obviously, I look at Alan's data um, when he posts it. So uh, what I'm trying to do is piece together an analysis, you know, tra- basically turning data into information uh, to try and deduce things from as many sources as I can. People will know looking and hearing from your accent that you're actually from the U.S. So what's your background in Celtic? Sure. So uh, my mother was actually born and raised in Clyde Bank. 
and emigrated uh, in the late 60s to be an au pair and uh, met my father who was stationed in the, just returned from Vietnam and they met in New York. Um, so she stayed after they got married. And um, so basically uh, it's, it's been an inheritance. And then my, my uncle started visiting in the late nineties um, was the first real family I had to visit uh, that came to the U S to visit us. And then he, that made, became an annual uh, two to three week tradition uh, from I think 98 on. Uh, so we would talk about it a lot. And then um, in 2004, I've spent six weeks in Scotland with my my new bride at the time and um, really started to get more involved at that point. So as I said, this is the first episode of the Huddle Podcast, named TBC, format TBC. This is really just a pilot to see how we get on and to see what the numbers are behind Celtic season so far. It's been quite a frustrating season for some people and other people are being a little bit more, I don't know, uh, given the benefit to the doubt to Neil Lennon at the minute. Um, one game lost in the league so far, European form sort of off the charts in terms of how poor it's been. That's my opinion, but the format of the show anyway, we're going to take a topic or topics of the week, look at them from a statistical point of view, and then I'm going to give my point of view, given that I don't actually have any background in XG or in statistics. So that's how we're going to work it off. And the first topic is obviously the topic that's on every everyone's heads, is Neil Lennon the future manager of Celtic? Is he the man even to lead Celtic any further in this season? There's already odds up for the likes of Eddie Howe, Gordon Strachan, they are seem and David Moyes all seem to be the favourites to get the Celtic job at the minute. And Neil Lennon is adamant that he is the man to do the job. So let's take a look at Neil Lennon prior to this season and Neil Lennon in this season. Guys, we'll start with you, Alan. Any particular trends that jump out to you straight away in terms of this season comparable with other seasons of New Lennon? Yeah, so so listen, I mean, number one, it doesn't sort of sit well with me kind of morally in terms of my moral compass to call for anyone to be sacked particularly. So um, having said that, you know, you know, football's a tough business, right? So, you know, we've all been watching the same and, and I've had a number of alarm bells ringing in my mind in terms of just looking at the performances. And I'll, I'll keep using the word performances and people will throw back, you know, the, the old cliche about the only stat that matters is the one in the top left corner of your screen in terms of it's the results business. And I completely get that and I completely understand that but what I'm concerned about here is really looking at trends of performance because I, I would posit uh, pretty confidently actually that, that performance is a better underlying predictor of future outcomes than, than any given result especially in, in a very low scoring sport like football where you know a mistake or a dodgy decision or what have you can actually create a very different result very quickly um, so in, back to the topic at hand in terms of Neil Lennon what, what uh, you know, I did write an article on my site, which all, all six of you read, but let me just kind of refer to that a little bit. Um, and, what, what, and, and I'll just sort of break it down uh, really, but, but uh, 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 when I say break down, I mean summarise succinctly uh, to say that what, 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 I, what, what the trends were uh, really over Neil Lennon's tenure as Celtic manager, over a number of key, let's call them key performance metrics, things like expected goals, things like shots on target, things like number of touches in the opposition box, uh, things like, you know, number of, um, uh, you know, uh, creative passes, passes that take opponents out, uh, chances created, all, all of those types of metrics are really strong indicators of overall team performance. And the, 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 the long story short is that over Lennon's tenure, um, those key metrics have generally been on a, a quite a nice uh, sort of upward trend throughout his tenure. 
And that, that said to me was that, you know, and, and I think last season, you know, was fantastically successful. And not only did we uh, win the, uh, well, hopefully, uh, the, I don't know, the Scottish Cup yet to, to finish, but not only did we, were we, were we actually increasing our lead uh, in in the in the league, and actually, a bit of a sidebar here. Interesting future topic: Would Gerard have survived if the season had finished? Uh, and, and we'll just park that one for now. Um, and actually, a reason I mention that is because there's potentially a lesson there for this discussion about Lennon as well. I think it's germane to this conversation. Um, but um, obviously, when we look at this season, that trend has kind of been reversed across a number of uh, key areas. And I think we'd all you know recognise that from what, what we're watching instinctively that you know the team is uh, you know not, not creating as many uh, chances. Uh, the, the team is taking slightly less touches in the opposition box. The team is not creating as much good quality. Chances. The opposition, on the, on the other hand, are creating better chances and so forth. So they are all indicators of a regression, uh, if you like, or, or a, a decrease, if you like, in performance, which is, you know, it sets people like me's alarm bells ringing. And I suppose what I really concluded personally at the time that I wrote the article, which is actually two weeks ago or so, was that really Lennon has got a lot of credit in the bank. He's done, he's, he's improved the team. The team has demonstrably not only performed and got the results, but actually the performances have improved. And um, as well, uh, the trophies are in the, in, the, in the bag. And actually, the football's been pretty exciting too. So, all, all good. Uh, the, 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 he's been demonstrably uh, backed by the board in terms of no major talent was sold, which I found incredibly, actually, that given the COVID uh, economic uh, considerations, I was expecting one major player to be, to be sold, at least. That didn't happen. He was given positions filled that he, he identified as wanting filled. And therefore, this is this is kind of where we are. So I concluded that really we ought to let him, uh, you know, work through that, bearing in mind all of the um, environmental factors that are currently in play in terms of, you know, COVID issues that Celtic have been hit with, uh, you know, injuries and suspensions and the differential approach that, you know, governments and authorities have taken to some of these issues which have impacted Celtic more adversely than other teams, for example. So all that in the round led me to conclude that we should give the guy time. But I have to say, in the two weeks since, I've wobbled. <laughs> and I've wobbled because, again, you know, I, 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 the Sparta result was almost a, a no-way-back performance, in a sense. And and his demeanour, and again, I'm, I'm veering off of stats here, yeah. but, it's, you know, the, looking at him at a human level, his demeanour uh, just seemed like a, that of a defeated man. Um, yeah. But here we go. We, we win for one at Motherwell, and, and, and we dust off, and, and on we go. Yeah, I might come back to you on a couple of things there, Alan, but Juco and or Juco James, sorry, I, I, what do you think in terms of Celtic's performance? What are you looking at in terms of the the key points to analyze in terms of performance? The the key indicators that Celtic are all, either on a downward trend or they're continuing on as they were. What 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 do you look for in in terms of the performance? Yeah, so Alan and I had a uh, very healthy uh, dialogue on Twitter after he posted his piece. Um, and I don't disagree with anything that he said. Um, I disagree with Alan's conclusion. Um, and, and that that's, so I, I have some background in um, uh, attribution analytics, which is basically, you know, looking at uh, performance, this within the context of uh, investment performance in the finance world, uh, and then trying to break that down as far as what drove um, the performance levels. So uh, w- when I look at Neil Lennon's track record as Celtic manager, even dating back to his first tenure, um, 
I, I have serious questions about how most of the support and potentially the board and and uh, the CEO apparently uh, have attributed the club's performance under his tenure. And, and um, so I think that's a fundamental disagreement that Alan and I have. And again, that's just a dis disagreement of of, of that, that's the wonderful world of analytics. I think people think of data and they just assume that it automatically gives people conclusions um, when, in fact, uh, you know, there, there's uh, I think one of the reasons why we, we hope this um, this this show might have a place within the, you know, increasingly crowded Celtic sphere of, of fan media is because of Alan and I both having uh, analytical backgrounds. So, you know, I think we're analysts first that also happen to be passionate Celtic supporters, whereas I think the vast majority of of, uh, of, of people in, in the Celtic sphere are, are kind of the inverse of that. Um, so when I look back and I, I just I did a couple of things looking back at Lennon's first tenure. So I think a, an obvious thing that and, and again, I'm not doing this to bash Neil Lennon. I, I, I mean, I think uh, he's, he's obviously a, a club legend. Um, but it's if you're going to make sound decisions, right? And I think ultimately that's what analytics is about: taking data, turning it in, into information, and trying to improve decision making. Um, that's really the crux of what all of this is about. At whether, no matter what the industry is. And when I look at his track record at Celtic, one of the the primary um, legends that have grown up about uh, surrounding him is his pragmatism in Europe, for example, and his track record in Europe. Uh, and when I look at that track record, I think it's far more mixed. Uh, and I think there's a lot of reliance on Fraser Forster winning games that most other keepers probably would have lost. Uh, so, for example, I don't have a, a XG report from the, 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 the famous 2012 win over Barcelona. Uh, but I've reviewed all of the events, the scoring events from that game. And I think it was about an XG of three for, for Barcelona and yeah. probably less than one half for Celtic. Well, I, th I think, so. I think Barcelona had from memory uh, close to 21, 22 shots on target alone um, and Celtic had two. On, not quite on target. And, and it gets back. I don't want to get into too much specifics right now, but there's a difference between what's the probability of a chance creation before someone shoots it. And mm -hmm. then when you're facing a team like 2012 Barcelona, that has people like prime Messi and, uh, Alves and all these other great players. I mean, some of those saves that Forster made were shots that, you know, were low probability based off of the thousands of players that have taken those shots. But, you know, Messi's putting it just below the bar in the upper left quadrant. So the, the, what we'd call the post shot XG for that game was probably approaching four and Forster uh, only allowed, you know, allowed one goal. And that was after he made a tremendous save low into his left at, that squirted out and, you know, in, in extra time. So that's the kind of result that is legendary um, that basically allowed Celtic to go to the, you know, uh, into the knockout rounds of the Champions League and lose 5-0 to, uh, to Juventus. But people, I, I don't think people focus enough on Lennon's first two seasons <laughs> uh, in that tenure where we didn't even qualify for Europe. Uh, and then... Uh, where he was learning to be... He was still, sorry, James, he was learning to be a manager as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's all yeah, context yeah. to all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, without the Sion turnover, we would have been out of Europe his first two seasons. Hmm. Um, and, and I look at the, the knockout rounds, um, the knockout games when we've lost uh, through his first tenure and then, you know, including let's say Cluj, 
in Copenhagen last year at the champion, late in the Champions League qualifying and then even in the knockout stages. Um, the goal difference is 27 goals that we've surrendered in those ties, and we've scored 12. So if you look at um, we lost to Braga 4-2, we lost to Utrecht 4-2, we lost to Sion 3-1. Again, we lost to Juventus 5-0. We lost to Cluj 5-4. We lost to Copenhagen 4-2. And we lost to uh, Ferencvaros, obviously an outlier with just the single game of 2-1. to one. So if you look at, you know, there's, there's a significant body of, 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 of a track record there. And people naturally gravitate towards the Barcelona Champions League season, which was terrific, obviously. Um, and then last year, which I think that's probably the, um, you know, once we got into the Europa League, there was legitimate performances there against Ren and Lazio. Um, probably closer than people think. You know, uh, uh, Forster w- was huge in in Rome, um, and again, a different keeper, a Barcas, a Gordon, a Bain, um, may not have allowed us to win that game the way Forster did. And that's if you look back at Dyla's record in Europe, and if you look at Rogers' record in Europe. Um, even when Gordon was in his kind of second chapter with Celtic and in his prime, if you look back at his performances under Diala, let's say, or even uh, I think the first year of the Champions League with with Rodgers, uh, Gordon did not do well in Europe those years. Those mm. years. Um, so, again, you're talking about um, uh, uh, hypotheticals here, right? So what if Diala had someone to Forster, you know, uh, what if Rogers had someone like Forster? I mean, it's Rogers f- f- fault. He didn't want a, a shot stopper like Forster. He wanted a ball player like DeVries, but, uh, I, I think you get what I'm saying. So I, I, I think that the, the bank that Allen has for Lennon, as far as judgment and decision-making, uh, is inflated compared to what I think it should be. Um, and I think last year in particular, where Al and I have a disagreement, is I think that the transfer market last season, the summer in particular, was a lot better than most people give it credit for. I mean, we basically mm-hmm. came out of that window with four to five legitimate first-team upgrades um, going into the season. And as much of a debacle as Bolingoli was for a variety of reasons, um, he is starting in the Champions League this season. Um and, and so, you know, it's not like he was a terrible player, even though the way that things played out was, was obviously uh, r- really unfortunate in, in many ways. So I, I, yeah. that's the crux. And, and I, the other reason why I think I, I've been a lot more harsh with Lennon and, you know, I publicly called for him uh, to be sacked after the Ferencvaros loss um, was I, I've seen a pattern of decision making that looked like it was going to get worse and not better. And, and that's some fundamental things that I've pointed out in my analysis on Alan's site and on Twitter really is dating back to early in the year, um, where in my judgment, we continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, what I call structural problems. So mm. we're swapping players, we're changing shape, but we're not addressing these structural problems. And I think um, they're so fundamental when it comes to analytics. Um, I have a hard time believing that there's not people within the Celtic infrastructure that don't recognize these things and that someone's not listening to somebody. Uh, and I think that has to be Lennon. I mean, I may be wrong. I don't know the internal dynamics, but you know, as, as, uh, as, uh, 
uh, the younger George W. Bush said, uh, he's the, he's the decider. Uh, uh, he was the decider and ultimately, you know, the manager is the decider. And I, I think, um, I, I see a, a, a major structural decision-making problem. Uh, and I just, I think that's been getting worse, not better. And, and I think yeah. Ferenc Faros was kind of the trigger for that. Uh, and, and I see it as more of a decision-making spiral that's been unfolding. Um, well, on, on the European forum over the last couple of years, I think one of the things that people associate Neil Lennon with Europe for is because Brendan Rodgers was such a failure in it and they wanted to grasp onto anything that would sort of not, not damage the Brendan Rodgers uh, campaign or regime at Celtic, but almost take the gloss off it so it hurts less that Celtic lost such a top quality manager. And that's what he was. He won an invincible treble, something that's never been done. And he was one of the best coaches that Celtic have ever had. I suppose on Neil Lennon, from my point of view, what I've noticed on the pitch, and you just probably have the, the stats back this up, is that for too long Celtic have gotten by with performances that have been lackluster and haven't been good enough because they're playing against quality of, of opposition that just really isn't up to their standard as at, at all. So it's, it's not a sense that Celtic are playing good. It's just a, a fact that Celtic have better players that regardless of what system they play and what manager they have, they will ultimately win over the teams that have players who, who just aren't up to their standard or playing in the European uh, leagues as often as these players are. And that's that's where I think Celtic have been failing over the last couple of years. They've, they've sort of not taken their foot off the gas, but they've they've grown so accustomed to an easy ride in the Scottish League that when they play against bigger, b- better teams and they don't even ha- have to be that much better, then that's when they start to falter. And we've seen that this year with Ferenc Varos, who aren't a bad team, but are a better team than Celtic face week in, week out. And the likes of Stad Prague, who I think Celtic sort of didn't take seriously enough for a home fixture. And even Rangers this year, because Rangers have not been good enough in the last 10 years, but in the last two years, Celtic have lost them at home. And last year was the first time in 10 years that they actually did that. So I think that's sort of the key indicator of where Celtic are at for me and why this form has sort of dipped a little bit. Alan, I do want to come back to one thing that you said about, and it's included in your article, is that during Neil Lennon's um, first couple of years and his second term for Celtic, the trajectory has sort of been up. So what's the chances that it sort of has just gotten up to the top and now it's starting to uh, plateau a little bit and now we're seeing a decrease. Is that sort of where we're at at the minute that no matter who we bring in that potentially this may not get any better under Neil Lynn? So there's just, there's just so many variables, right? And uh, it is a really complex uh, thing. And the more data that you collect, the more the more complicated you can make it. Which uh, I'm not really selling myself here, am I? But uh, in terms of getting, uh, you know, a, a to the point answer on that one, I think again, this is why we look at trends. This is why you look at performance over over a period to try and ascertain, you know, which way is this going. And if it is going south, which it undoubtedly is from a performance perspective, um, and, and to your point, I think you make a very good point. Um, this year, more than any other year, um, the quality of opposition that Celtic are going to face in the SPSL, SPFL is, is, is decreasing because the economics of the current situation in Scotland have never been great. Uh, structurally for the last few years and are as bad now as they've ever got, as they've ever been because of the fact that you know that you just don't have the gate money coming through you don't have the additional revenues even Celtic have lost 
six uh, Champions League or European home matches at least, uh, which which you're looking at two to three million pounds income over and above your season ticket money, um, and, and and you know, but even Celtic can almost are so big and had so much money in the bank they can almost absorb that. Whereas a, a Kilmarnock or a, an Aberdeen, you know, to, to a lesser extent. And if you look back to um, just, I'm just going to take the Aberdeen game, the three three game. Aberdeen were absolutely awful. They were horrible, and they had an XG of in that single game of three against Celtic, which might be a record in the SPFL in the time I've collected data, mainly because of two penalties. But, but actually, in terms of if you analyse their performance and the structure of their play and what they were trying to do, they were dreadful. They were absolutely awful. And the reality is, uh, I think this year is that, that there's almost there's almost no case for sacking Lennon because ultimately he's just got to beat Rangers. Because the the standard of the other teams has decreased so much, whereas you know Celtic have kept largely the same squad. They've added some players, and we can get on to debate the qualities of some of those. But you know, to me, Celtic have easily got the the, the deepest and highest quality squad um, in the league. Are they playing well? No. Are they struggling? Absolutely. But, but almost, you know, would anyone else? Would it, would would bringing someone else in be so disruptive as to actually risk? Um, Lennon, you know, you, you can't say that Lennon's not going to be able to go to Kilmarnock, for example, and probably get a result because actually, if you, same as James used, um, you know, European games, which I, which I think is quite tricky because a, it's a small sample, and b, the structural issues around the way European football is financed is, is, is has been a shifting map for a number of years now, making it harder and harder for teams like Celtic to compete. So that's a really difficult to compare playing Paris Saint Germain ten years ago with five years ago with today are three very different scenarios, actually. And it's very difficult in such small samples to draw absolute conclusions from that. So that's where I would I'd probably take a little bit of issue with using those games as, as a basis for analysis. But where you can absolutely use a basis for analysis is looking at you know SPFL games because these teams have largely been the same uh, year over year. And guess what? We play them like eight times a season. So there's lots of data to be had for games against Kilmarnock. And irrefutably, Lennon can put a team out to beat Kilmarnock, Hibs, etc. So really, the case for change, um, you know, is actually introduced potentially introducing more risk by introducing change. But but my but actually, I'm finding that um, really my faith is being put in what I'd call sort of negative motivators, which is you know loyalty to Lennon. There's no basis or judgment or data that I can use to back that to back that one up, other than it's on a very human level, you know. And the fact that you know he's he's got a good record at beating other SPFL teams on their week of the season, therefore I'm hoping that that's going to continue. Um, you know the the main challengers, Rangers. You know, can they continue to go through a whole season being completely unaffected by COVID and having no injuries? It sounds unlikely. I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case, but you never know. <laughs> and so it's, it's all it's all a bit of a gamble, whichever way you look at it. But I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, um, you know, Lennon's kind of proven in the in the sort of muck and guts of SPFL football. And if our priority this season is to win the ten, then he's probably as good a roll of the dice as anyone, frankly. And another change might be too disruptive. That's all a little bit negative. I think there's a, another conversation to be had of. Where does that set us up for the season after that? And I think that's a wider conversation. Yeah, and I, I, if I can just jump in, and uh, I think um, w- one of the other aspects of what I've done on the analytics side that's probably, I mean, I, I, I'm not aware of anyone else in the, the Celtic fan community that have looked at Rangers as closely as I have from an analytics perspective. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm always humored when, when I interact with other supporters and, you know, we'll discuss Rangers and, you know, I get accused of being a Neil McCann puppet and uh, <laughs> a secret hunt. Yeah. And, you know, um, and then I, I push back with people and I ask, well, how, how much have you watched them? Have you, have you really analyzed? Oh, I don't watch them. They just, you know, they're just shite. You know, I, I do speak some Glaswegian, so I'll throw it in there. Um, so I, I really broke down their season last year. And I and actually, Alan published a series of, of uh, my analysis back in June. Um, and my concern with, with how our season has unfolded, I'll, I'll take issue with Alan a little bit on, I mean, I, I think our squad overall is probably better than Rangers, but I think it's a lot closer than people think at this point and the most of our support. And I think more importantly, um, there was a level of incoherence in our transfer window this summer, um, in my opinion, that really dilutes that talent edge. And when I came out of that process that I you know, part of it was in lockdown. I was, I was trying to preserve my sanity like everyone else. Uh, when I really dove into analyzing Rangers performance levels last season, I walked away from that exercise with a list of things that I saw that were vulnerabilities for them. And then I proceeded to watch them in the transfer window. And so far this season, basically address every single one of them. Right. So I, I, as an analyst went, okay, this is where I think they had problems. This was their vulnerabilities. And then I watched them just make decisions and do mm -hmm. things in a way that checked every single box. Now, the, is the risk that this guy that they brought in from Amiens isn't uh, as good as he looked in that half in a blowout against Hamilton? Possibly. Uh, but they, they did things that made sense to me from an analytics perspective. And I contrast that with what Celtic did this summer that I couldn't make any sense of what they were doing. I mean, the signing of Duffy didn't make any sense to me to start. Um, Moy being the first signing, if we were going to go to the three, five, two, which again, we get into this thing about, or how do you know for sure? But, you know, I, I, I think there's a reasonable assumption to be made that the, the off season plan was to come into the season with three, five, two with Griffiths and, and, uh, and Edward. Um, and then when, Griffiths had his uh, issues in lockdown that basically blew it up and they reverted back to four, two, three, one. And so I, I just, I haven't understood what the plan was in addressing the issues that I saw analytically. Like if I'm an, if I'm an opposition analyst, the way I view myself with Rangers, um, I'm, I'm looking at the decisions they're making and I'm going, oh, geez, they're making smart decisions. And like if I was a Celtic analyst, I'd be like, oh, boy, they really have their you know what together. And then if I'm working for Rangers analyzing Celtic and I looked at the, what they were doing and the decisions they were making, I'd be drooling. Mm -hmm. I would be absolutely drooling because the major vulnerabilities and problems, this is why I say these structural issues that Celtic have been displaying have not been getting better. They have been getting worse. They've gone unaddressed and they've been papered over in ways that to me are incoherent. So that's why I get, you know, I've been very critical about all of this because of that context. And I viewed Rangers coming into the season. I think I was probably way out in front. I mean, I'm not aware of anyone else within the Celtic community uh, that was as worried about Rangers as I was entering this season. And I'm more worried now than I was in July. 
because of what they've been doing. Yeah, because they're, 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 their performance numbers are backed up by by what's actually happening on the field. Their expected goals for and against is actually being reflected in real results. If anyone if anyone in the Celtic support is still sleep you know sleepwalking on this one, they need to wake the fuck up very quickly because this team may not be a team of all stars. They're real, you know journeymen to, by and large. They're incredibly well coached by Beal, and uh, and they're a very effective unit. And you can see that when they play teams like Benfica and and the other European teams where they've had fantastic success against those sides and, and fair play. So, you know, don't be under any 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 illusions that this is not a serious challenge. And it, yeah, and uh, I'm sorry, real quick, because I, I go ahead. a good uh, kind of bookend to this part of the conversation. So the other, the issue I'll take with what Alan said about Lennon and being able to handle uh, SPFL sides. So I think that's a dual-edged sword because, um, Rangers are facing the same low quality of opponents in the league. Indeed. So the, the likelihood of them dropping points is also lower. Yep. Um, but I think, and, and I've done a lot of analysis and writing about this, is that if you look at the managerial style of Lennon and you compare it to what Rangers have been doing, you know, if you think about volatility, variance in performance levels, you can have two teams that have the same performance levels from point A to point B, and they average the same. But if the path from one A from A to B is different, you can have one that's more consistent to get there, and then you can have one that does does this, and the averages are the same. And Lennon's coaching style is selection style, the encouragement of players to shoot from thirty yards, you know, all of these various. And Rangers are not doing that. I mean, you can look at shot maps of somebody like Ryan Kent, and you know, I, I got I got criticized back when we were looking at signing Turnbull because I made the uh, the case that you know one of the big problems that Turnbull had at Motherwell was shot selection, shooting too much from distance. And he, look, he's, he looks like he's pretty good from distance, but generally that's not a good idea. And I, and I compared him to Debrina from Man City, who has a problem. He shoots too much from distance. You know, and a lot of people were giving me pelters because, you know, who am I to criticize the best midfielder in the world? Well, look at Man City this year. One of their main problems is their XG per shot is way too low. They're taking shots from all over the place and their shot selection is not great. And you look at teams like Leicester and Liverpool who have been really moving towards analytics. And and that's basically where Rangers are now. They're they're not taking 25 yard pot shots to quote unquote, test the keeper in in large volume. I mean, it happens, but it's nowhere near the volume that, that Celtic do it. And, and that, you can do this basic statistics. If, if, you know, the probability of having success, having 10 shots with 0.03 XG is lower than if you have three shots that are 0.1. They're both the same XG, right? So it's that composition of the quality of your chances. So you can have, you know, a Lennon coach team that's going to have more volatility. And what does that mean, like practically speaking? Well, it means we're going to have more, Closer games were negative variance, like in Livingston, where the guy hits a wonder goal from 25 yards and top shelves it, right? That game, they had no business being close to us in that game. Um, But that happens sometimes, right? Just like we we beat Barcelona 2-1 in in 2012 uh, because Forster basically stood on his head, right? So that can happen. So if you look at 
uh, Rangers system right now, the robustness of the system, it's a lot less volatile. And it's going to, I would surmise it's going to continue to be low volatility. So in in likelihood, these are all probabilities. We're looking at in in, in football parlance, James, the, 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 the players know their jobs, right? It's a, it's a predictable system. They've had relatively low squad churn. The players are relatively interchangeable in terms of, you know, bringing off three or four world superstars and then replacing them. You're generally replacing, you know, competency with you know, reasonable competency with reasonable competency into a system. And you can watch the way they play, the way that their spacing is organized. And that results in not only, you know, defensive strength in terms of that spacing and that consistency of, of understanding how to move as a team across the pitch, but also in chance creation. Because if you watch, you know, the, the players, players will not sw- just randomly swing the ball into the box like Celtic often do. Uh, they'll cut back and look for the optimal pass. Not to say they don't get lots of crosses in. I mean, that's how Barisic, that's Barisic and Tavernier's, um, you know, Emilio is to get lots of sh- good shots at yeah, crosses in, but they're, they're, but the crosses from the right place at the right time and of good quality, um, you know, because it's a structure. It's a structure and it's a coherence. And that's, well, the, I think, the fear that, that we're seeing with Celtic is that we don't see that same structure and coherence. And, and that's exactly right. And that's, I even go back to the transfer market. So we basically have two fullbacks that are attacking fullbacks, and it looks yeah. like neither one of them can cross. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, yeah, like Sol's <laughs> like, like expected assist is about 0.13 per 90 minutes. Um, he's really no better than... Yeah, well, it's just not. It's not. He's, he might look like an attacking fullback, but he isn't in terms of out, actual output and quality of output. It's, it's really that. But but the problem is that they've got, and this was really evident in the Aberdeen game when we went four four at the back. Is you've now got Laxalt and Frimpong absolutely bombing on, and then whenever Celtic lose the ball, and when you've got risk takers like Christie, El Yunusi, Rogic in the team, you're going to lose the ball a lot, right? Yeah, it might be in the final third or, or thereabouts, but the transition. Right, if a team is smart enough and skillful enough, that transition is going to hurt you because your fullbacks are like, well, where the hell are they? In, in, in the last minute against Aberdeen, yeah, when 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 Wright was able to waltz through four midfielders without a single tackle being laid on him, Frimpong was out of position and Duffy rushed to cover, allowing Wright to slip the ball in. This is the ninety-second minute of a game where you're holding on to three-two and you can play the ball but behind two defenders to a guy freeing the box to cut it back that is absolutely ludicrous on any level of football yeah there's there's quite a lot going on this season that you probably wouldn't have seen in previous seasons i suppose when you're looking at rangers and some of the things you're talking about there is sort of modern coaching versus the old guard and i'm I'm not even talking about the old guard in terms of uh, the 1990s i'm talking about pre-2010 was a different era in terms of football because it's broken down into systems. And the best analogy I can use is sort of if you look at the Premier League and you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the minute, what he is trying to do with Manchester United shows no pattern of play. He's essentially exactly the same as Neil Lennon, relying on better players to make their decisions and come up with something to create a little bit of magic. And you're almost modern players do not cope well with that because all through their uh, academies and underage systems, they're playing under a system and they don't actually react well to not being given specific instructions on the pitch. And I think one thing that Celtic are really missing this year is the uh, the Damien Duff being part of the coaching panel because I think he was a very good link from Neil Lennon's time in his early management days and when he would have been doing his coaching badges to the modern era because all I'm hearing of Damien Duff 
is brilliant, brilliant stuff. And he's always hardworking, always on the pitch. The players like him. The players know what he wants from him. And that's sort of what Celtic seem to be missing this year. Just that coherence on the pitch. The players actually know what their role is instead of just going out on the pitch and just doing their stuff and try, just getting getting past games because they're just better players. Before we finish up, because we are getting pressed on time a little bit, one thing that I do want to get from both of you is this sort of where do our Celtic really falling down this year? Because for me, it's a link between the midfield and the defence, but I don't know if the numbers actually back that up. So I don't know, James, if you want to bring your numbers to the table here. Yeah, so... Um... I think that the there's numbers, and then as, as Alan would, has just talked about, um, one of the uh, areas that some of the f- clubs in the forefront of analytics using uh, machine learning, for example, and big data, um, and, and you know, I consume as many interviews of the people working for those clubs as I can whenever they're uh, silly enough to say anything publicly. Um, but some of the areas that they really highlight and talk about as being real difference makers are transition and counterpressing. Um, and you even see someone like Brendan Rogers, who is really obsessed with possession at Celtic. You know, that was, uh, you know, that was the Ian Cathro model that became all the vogue, uh, you know, kind of the Guardiola uh, possession centric focus. And what we've seen as clubs have become smarter is that they're seeing that it's that counter pressing and transitions. So possession isn't as important. And I think we are set up right now, as Alan suggested, that is one of our worst areas is that we're not great at pressing right now. It's gotten worse. We don't have the, we don't have the, the personnel to do it. Uh, whether it's you know Brown's age, um, you know McGregor, you know smart player, but you know uh, he's not exactly um, a twenty year old Wanyama, so to speak. Um, uh, and then even our forwards aren't necessarily great at pressing at times. And then. So there's the pressing, there's the counter pressing, and then the structure or lack thereof and the ball chasing in our midfield. It's basically leaving our back four completely and the, and the, the fullbacks bombing forward. I mean, it, it looks like you could drive a truck or, or ride a train through our midfield way too much. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think it's been unfair on Duffy to a degree because he's had no protection. I mean, I was not a fan of the signing. Um but and has, has he played poorly and made terrible mistakes? Of course. Um, but our midfield has been an absolute mess. And I think that that's been the biggest problem last year. Last season was our weakest area. Uh, when I looked at the basically the comparative analysis of Celtic season versus Rangers last season, clearly our weakness was in midfield. Um, and then this season, it's only gotten worse. And, you know, to highlight that going into the Sparta game, how a midfield in Europe of Rogic, uh, McGregor, and Brown, within the context of second balls and transitions and counter pressing against a European team, even if they had seven people out with, with with COVID and playing a second string or a third string, I mean, as as Alan said, I mean, Aberdeen's no great shakes, but they have a couple of guys that are really fast like right and, and hedges. And what does that make you vulnerable to those counters and, and movement that, you know, they're just creating space and going to space. And um, 
our, our structure just looks terrible because of the midfield, I think. And so if I distilled it down, it would be our, our biggest problem yeah. has been and continues to be the midfield. And that's my biggest concern is I don't see any evidence that that's being addressed. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think it's uh, – clearly that's the – you know, they don't call it the engine room for nothing and football cliche bingo, but uh, it has to be the fulcrum of the of the solidity of the team and sets the, the tempo and the shape and the positioning of the of the side. But I think, you know, to, uh, uh, to be fair, you, you've, we've literally had the spine ripped out of last season's successful team, you know, forced is not there. Julian and I are, have both variably been injured and I don't underestimate the, the the quality that those two are as a partnership. Um, Brown is yet another year further down the um, age decline curve, which is not a criticism of him. It's perfectly natural. The criticism is re- on relying on somebody who's clearly uh, on that projected uh, performance path and not doing anything about it. That's the criticism. It's not criticism of Scott Brown per se. And obviously, Edward, um, I, 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 there's no other way to say it. If I look at Edward's stats for this season compared to last, he's actually most glaring decreases in productivity is defensively. And, and, and I hate to say it, he's just not working hard enough. I don't think his head's there. I don't think he wants to be there. And and, and that's, a, that's an emotional um, interpretation of the data. But um, his numbers are down across the board, actually. The only number that's just about holding up is his um, expected uh, goals because I think against teams like Hamilton, he got into some good positions in the box. Um, so the, essentially the spine of your team that was incredibly successful last season is either not functioning or, or a year old or not just not there or hasn't been there so far. I think if at least you get a settled goalkeeper and for God's sake, give Barkas a chance, he looks, I think he looks decent, um, get Julian and I are, uh, together um, get a functioning central midfield that doesn't rely on a on a thirty six year old declining and and I'm sorry, but Brown's numbers this this year are down and it's not a surprise. Um, um, and then get Ed, somehow you know use your use your managerial skills to get Edward focused for the remainder of the season. You've got a fighting chance, but these are a lot of ifs and buts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 all pretty interesting because. That's exactly what I'm seeing on the pitch as well, is that the link between the defense and the attack in terms of when teams are attacking us just isn't there. And if you have two attacking fullbacks, then it's a no-brainer that you have someone there that has the legs to make up for it. And I think McGregor has been shoehorned into that position a little bit. I think he's far, far better and far more productive going forward than he is defensively. And Brown just doesn't have the legs anymore. I think it's crazy that uh, we have near Beton on the pitch and we refuse to play him in the centre defensive midfield role because he didn't fit there for a couple of games last season. I think you, you need to give him the option if he's if and when he's fit. And Edward is an interesting one as well. I'm glad you brought him up because even just looking at his performances, he looks like he doesn't want to be there. He looks, he doesn't look as... Um, dangerous in the attack and also defensively he's just not working hard enough so tie all that together and you get the performances that we've been seeing from Celtic this year in terms of Neil Lennon's future we will only know only uh, over the next couple of weeks depending on how, how results go and depending on whether the board stay true to their promise that they are loyal to Neil Lennon which they have come out and said already this has been the first Huddle Podcast I hope you enjoyed it if you want to listen back to that you can get it on podcast as well the link is in the description below James Juco James Alan Morrison Celtic by Numbers thanks for joining me today and hopefully we'll be back again with another The Huddle Podcast thanks, thank you yeah thanks Ender. <laughs>
Peacock fuels your true crime obsession with exclusive new originals. John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. Clowns can get away with murder. And Epstein Shadow, Ghislaine Maxwell. She inherited Jeffrey Epstein's secrets. Plus the most bingeable crime series, Snapped. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 